Good morning. A little spring in the air this morning. Pretty exciting. And a tease, I'm afraid. We'll take it. Right? My name's Jim, I'm a pastor here, and uh, one of many who serve here. So um, if I haven't met you, if you're new, I want to say I'm glad you're here. I'd love to meet you. So, so last semester here at Rock Hill, uh, our theme that we kind of dived into was out of the first half of the book of Exodus. It was called Journey to Freedom. We, we kind of trekked with the people of God as they were on their journey uh, to discover what it means to be free. The word there in the Old Testament is salvation, deliverance, the people being delivered out of Egypt. And they have been. We trekked with them until they got out. Um, they are politically free anyway. They have much, much to learn about what it means to actually live as a free people. We've trekked with them out of Egypt to the foot of Mount Sinai, where God called their leader to the top of the mountain and gave an incredible gift for the people, law. We don't often think of law as gift, do we? But it was for them. God gave them the Ten Commandments, as well as some other ways, some other laws that really were just kind of unpacking the Ten Commandments. It was like Here's how to live this out, these timeless laws, in your time, in your culture, in your community that he gave to them. These laws were intended to be clear foundational directives from God to live as free people. They've been called out of slavery. They've been in slavery for 400 years. You can imagine what that does to a people to live in slavery that long. And God's now made them free. He set them free. He's delivered them. He's brought salvation. And now he's calling them into a very, very different life. Obedience. So they have the law. There's over a million of them. Right now they have a leader named Moses. And we're going to see, and in fact, the entire witness of the Bible is going to testify that this, this way of obedience to law doesn't go very well for them. The effect of the law turns out to be a double-edged sword for them. On the one hand, the law is there for them to show them how to live as free people. It's there to show them how to be good. How they can actually live good, the theological word is righteous, lives. But there's another side of the sword. It not just shows them how to be good, it actually reveals something at the same time. That they're not. They're not good. They demonstrate over and over and over again their inability to keep the law. It's important to keep this paradox in mind. It's a tension in Scripture. The law is there to show us how to be good. The law is there to reveal the reality that we're not. We live in the middle of that. God's law. So now we're going to continue with this people been delivered, they have a leader, they have a law, and now there's waiting on them this imposing and what's going to prove to be perilous undertaking. Conquest of a place, a land that God is going to lead them to, a place to live, a place to raise their families and establish their communities. 
And most importantly, to bear witness to the surrounding cultures of the one good, just God who really wants to show this people favor, not for their own sake, not because they're smarter or better, because God wants to display His glory through them to the nations. This large, free community that actually know very little about freedom. He wants to establish them as a flesh and blood witness to the cultures. He wants this, in fact, he tells them once, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. A priest mediates. A priest comes between God and people. He says, that's what I want this people to be. I want you to be light to the Gentiles, those people who are outside of this community. That's why I have shown you favor. God wants to establish the work of his hands among them. So we've chosen a verse, poetic verse, book of Psalms is our theme verse. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. God establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And that is our quest as a community here. Some 3,500 years later, God established the work of our hands. Our quest is to find ourselves in the story as much as we can. Establish this work oriented around our mission to know and follow Christ and to help people know and follow Christ. As we learn to live, we learn to lead, as we learn to love in His likeness, in Jesus' likeness, living our lives as He would if He were us. All the way to the ends of the earth. That's our mission. So may we be avid, attentive apprentices as we start this new series, establish the work of our hands as we move forward with God's people. May we receive their lessons. And there will be many. And some of them will be difficult. May we take captive their narrative so we can help. Learn what they learned, but maybe not make some of the mistakes they made along the way. May we be formed in the way of God's favor. And may He establish the work of our hands. That's why we're doing it. Not just to learn an Old Testament book. I asked George if he would come up and just pray. Uh, Caleb's bringing you the microphone, George. I just, just, I thought this is the right time to pause and just say, God, bring us your blessing over these next several months as we do this. George. So the Jewish people habitually took the week, the seven days of the week, and they identified Wednesday as the middle of the week. So in their lives, they took Wednesday to look back on the things that God had done in their lives as a people. And then from Wednesday, they looked forward on the things that God was still going to do in their lives. That's a pretty good rhythm, isn't it, for a church, for us as individuals. Come with me to prayer.
Father, we identified that we are on a journey, a journey with you into the very heart of God. You've called your people to that journey. You've accompanied them through wilderness, through fears, and even through grumblings. And you set before them a vision of a future that is glorious, a vision where the whole world, every ethne, every group, would come to see the greatness and bow to the Lordship of Jesus in obedience. Thank you for the tasks that you have set before us. We look back at the wonderful things that you have done, and now we look forward to you establishing the work of our hands. I can't help but think, God, that this morning, in many of the houses that surround this building. There are people with broken lives, children that are not well, mothers and fathers that are lost. And you brought us here. And now we look forward to the work that you are going to do. And we pray together that our work will not be in vain in the Lord Jesus. In his name we all pray and the people of God said, Amen. Thank you, George. Uh, in just a minute, Maddie's going to come up and read our scripture. Maddie, you can go ahead and make your way up to the first pew here if you want, and I'll we'll be up in just a second. So the, the scripture that Maddie's going to read here in a moment, it stands out a bit, kind of in the heart of Exodus in the middle. It stands right in the middle of God giving law to his people that we've already discussed, and he's getting ready to give instructions about the people building a dwelling place that would represent symbolically God's presence among them. The language that dominates the theme of Maddie's, the passage she's going to read is a newly freed people getting ready to take possession of land. The emphasis is on establishing themselves as the people of God in line with the promises he's already given and the law he's given, given way before this people, wherever in anyone's imagination, promises to people like Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, now to Moses, and now to us. You're going to hear a number of other themes that gets unpacked out of this theme of them moving forward. God's loyal and loving action to them. And then what God expects from them. There's a going before, you'll see, and then a being before God on our part that you'll hear. 
You're going to see God promising protection and privilege of a community. But you're also going to hear a responsibility of obedience He expects from them. So there's a lot in this text she's about to read. There's no way we'll get to cover it unless you want to skip lunch and dinner. And I'm not taking a vote on that one. So Maddie, come up and read. This is chapter 23 of Exodus. She's going to read verses 20, 33, and it'll be on the overhead as well. Awesome. All right. I am sending a messenger ahead of you to watch over you along the way and to bring you to the place I've prepared. Be attentive to him and obey him. You must not become bitter towards him, for he will not pardon your rebellion because my name is in him. If you obey him and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. My messenger will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. You must not bow down to their gods, and you must not be drawn to serve them, and you must not do as they do. You must demolish them and shatter their sacred pillars. You are to serve the Lord your God. And his blessing will be on your food and water, and I will remove sickness from among you, and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. I will send my terror before you and throw into confusion every people you encounter. I will bring your enemies to you by their necks. I will send the hornet before you, and he will drive the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites. But I will not drive them out in a single year, lest the land become desolate, and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you increase and possess the land. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea and from the desert to the Euphrates River. I will give into your hands the people of the land, and you will drive them out before you. You must not make a covenant with them or with their gods. They must not live in your land lest they cause you to sin against me. If you serve their gods, it will certainly become a snare to you. Thank you. So obviously their circumstances are different than ours. We're not surrounded by Hivites and Canaanites and all those other kites that she read that I can't remember. But the principles will hold that she read for us. So let's jump into it. She talked about loyalty and obedience. These lie at the heart of this treasured relationship with God. Loyalty and obedience. We'll hear about them over and over. That's always been true with God and his people. It still is. Loyalty and obedience. God says, I'm sending a messenger ahead of you to watch over you along the way and to bring you in the place I've prepared this word, the Hebrew word's pronounced malik, I think. Maybe George could help me. Is that right? Um, we're not exactly clear the meaning. Scholars are divided. Was, it, was he talking about Moses? Was he talking about some kind of other being? Most people think he's talking about an angel. I will send a messenger ahead of you who will guard and bring you in the place I've prepared. Angels play a very prominent role in the Old Testament. They're all over Exodus, uh, as a matter of fact. I don't know if you've ever seen an angel. Maybe you have, and you know it. 
Maybe you have, and you don't know it. But God has used angels throughout human history to bring messengers, to guard and protect. Um, my son had an experience with an angel yet, once, or, and I'll let him tell that story sometime. But they're, they're very real beings. He says, this angel will guard you and bring you to the place I've prepared. I think, stop there, we can identify with this. God has guarded our steps. You know, we're in our seventh year as a community. And all along the way, the thing about guarding, God guarding your life, often you don't know what's happening, right? I mean, sometimes you see the piano falling out of the fifth floor of the apartment and you walk and it barely misses you. Most of the time, you have no idea that God is guarding our way, but he is. And he certainly brought us. He's brought us as a people. And I don't mean just geographically, but he certainly brought us into this space that we're sitting in. We never saw it coming. Uh, we didn't seek it out. It sought us out. Bridgepoint sought us out. And now we're here. And we don't know how God's leading it, us in this place. So we are here like this. And one thing is a good reminder is that we continue to pray for the blessing of Bridgepoint Community Church. If, you, if you're new, you might be interested to know they, they gave us this room for worship. They moved into their cafe behind you and moved their worship time to 9 o'clock. So we could meet here at 1045. So let's not forget them and, and how God's really used them to can continue to bless us. And we've made a commitment that whatever this journey looks like, it will not be at their expense. It will be for their blessing. Whatever that We don't know what that means most of the time, but it will be for their blessing. So we'll continue to that commitment we've made. God's making a promise here to his people. He's making, making pledges. He's committing to this people. These promises undergird, and you've got to keep this in mind, the promises God makes undergirds the demands he's going to make on this people. The promise comes first from God. He's going to ask things from them. He's even going to say some hard things in this passage. His promise comes first. He's with them. He's going to guard them. He's going to protect them. He doesn't say it explicitly here, but it's explicitly all over the Bible. It's because he loves them. It's not because he's looking for a whole bunch of minions to get his work done. He doesn't need them. It's because he loves them. He's favoring them because he loves the world. That's what's behind all this. You've got to keep that in mind, or you'll get stuck. Along the way, so you got to keep that in mind. No matter what's going on in our lives, you need to remember that. God is for you. And He loves you. No matter what kind of fatigue you're in right now, what kind of fog you're in right now, God is for you. And He loves you. You can't leave that place. Isn't it so easy to forget that when you're drowning or you can't see for it or you're discouraged? God is for you. And He loves you. Don't ever forget it. So God is going before us. That's the first point. God has and will continue to go before us. Secondly, we have to learn to live before Him. 
before God. Verse 21, be attentive to him and obey him. He's talking about this messenger. Be attentive to him and obey him. You must not become bitter towards him, for he will not pardon your rebellion because my name is in him. Man, those are, that's really critical, kind of commanding language God is giving. Obey Him. Be attentive to Him. One of the core paths of apprenticing to Jesus that many in this room have committed to is to learn. Please don't miss this part. Maybe Probably the most important thing, at least in my mind, I'll say morning is to learn to listen to to be attentive to to discern the voice of God in your life in our lives as a community to learn to listen to to hear and discern the voice of God it's so critical if you're going to walk in the way of Jesus that you learn how to be attentive to listen to hear and discern the voice of God for your life. We've made it a mystery, like something that can't be discovered. Now, there is plenty of mystery in it. Don't mishear me, but please hear me say, this is a core task of being a follower of Jesus, is to learn how to be attentive to, listen, hear the voice of God in your life. This is the way of Jesus who said this, I only do what I see my Father do. Jesus was listening to the voice of His Father. And He learned obedience to His voice. You say, wait a minute, Jesus didn't learn anything. Oh no, He learned a lot. Hebrews tells us that. He learned submission to the voice of His Father. So if we're really going to take this apprenticing Jesus seriously, We have to learn this way. To live our lives as Jesus would if he were us means learning to hear God's voice for our lives. And you say, maybe that's really difficult for me. Yeah, a lot of things are really difficult. We have to learn this way. It's important. It's key. We could spend a lot lot of time talking about that. That may interest you. It's like I could really use some help in learning how to hear God's voice in my life. That's you. Take out a welcome card, write hearing God on it, put it in the box. We'll plan a Great Commission training just for that topic. We'll spend 90 minutes on a Tuesday night just on that topic. But if I did it now, you would miss lunch. So we'll do it. Write it on a card, hearing God, we'll know. We'll plan a Great Commission training on a Tuesday night sometime in the relatively near future (laughs) when it's a good time for people. Jesus said to the religious leaders once, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Learn to hear God's voice. It's not magic. It's not supposed to be confusing. You can learn to do it. Some personalities are probably hardwired a little more readily to hear God's voice than others. That's okay. 
Learn to hear God's voice. It will make the difference in your life of guessing how to live and a growing awareness and confidence of knowing how to live. It doesn't mean you always will get it right. You're still going to be human and you'll miss it sometimes. But this is really, really important to get your head around. Equally important to hearing God's voice is learning to respond to it well. It doesn't do much good to hear it if you don't know what to do with it. So let's look at God's words. He says, do not become bitter against my messenger. Now, some trans- Your translation may re- read, do not rebel against him. Both are okay. The more accurate one is, do not become bitter toward my messenger. Why would God say it that way? Don't become bitter. I can't exhaustively answer that question. I can tell you a couple thoughts. Here's two. Obedience rarely comes wrapped in pretty paper. Obeying God rarely presents itself as something compelling or easy to do for us. It's often contrary. It's often contrary to what the world says out there. It means to be successful or a good person. It's often contrary to what you want in your own heart. It may be contrary to what voices of other people are saying, even family and friends. It's contrary often, at least it feels that way when it's presented to us. Obedience is often difficult at first. It's like the law. It's there. God's voice is there for good. It's there for your good. When He asks you to obey, He's really not trying to make your life hard or miserable. He really isn't. Like He has a vision for your life that's immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. But here's the catch. It's the paradox. It often comes to us in a package that looks like saying no to what you want. Jesus had a word for this. It was called self-denial. Which is another way of saying, saying no to what you want in your core. Actually, in your real core, in your soul, in that hard drive of everything you are, saying yes to God is exactly what you long for. It will fulfill your greatest imagination and hope. But it rarely looks like that in its package. The second thing I would say about obedience is it is beyond you, like the law. The law is there to show you how to be good. The law is there to reveal that you're not. Obeying God is impossible in your own strength. You believe that? Now, you may be able to carry out the commandment. You might be able to behave in such a way where people are impressed. But that's not what Jesus is after. He's not after creating a community of minions who salute and take orders and march in step at his, at his bidding. He's not after that. What he's after is forming the character of God in your life in such a way that you grow to the point where you're actually doing what you want to do. Do you believe that? That's his vision for your life. That over time, obedience becomes routine and, can I say it, easy for you. That's his vision for your life. He's not out to make you miserable. When obedience comes, 
it looks difficult often. It often is met with, God, I can't do that. And you would be right. You can't do that apart from His Spirit living in your life. His presence in you. When you committed your life to Christ, you got that gift. And now that is possible. It is possible for you to say yes in obedience to God. To anything He asks you, even though it may feel like I cannot do it, do it. Obedience comes with a cost. It has a demand that you feel when it comes to us. Surely, God, you wouldn't ask me to do that, to give that up. Only a heart of surrender will allow you to keep obedience a reality in your life. Because I have also learned this, with a heart of surrender, a heart of submission to His will, God will show Himself faithful and good and strong in your life. He wants you to grow to the point where you're experiencing an immeasurably more life for you. Good chance it's different than the one you've dreamed up, schemed up, when you're currently schemed up, scheming up. There's a pretty good chance his vision goes beyond what you're dreaming and scheming. It may look less than. It often does. Because like the next steps may look very small. They may look very insignificant. That's the nature of God's kingdom. He likes working in things that doesn't look important. Meanwhile, he's displaying his glory to the nations. Obey him. If it's very small and significant looking, obey that. Do the next right thing of obedience. You'll be surprised how God will use that. So we have to learn to live before him in obedience. There's no other way. Jesus says... He who loves me will obey me. Finally, number three. No one, no thing can come before God. So the rest of this passage that Maddie read is intertwined between pledge and warning. And there's some really difficult words in it. Verse 22, he says, If, don't miss the if here. It's an important word. If you obey him and do all I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. You know, there's so many voices in our lives in there. There's voices out there in the media, in the world, social media, in the political realm. We're constantly getting doses of information. On the campus, in the classroom, in the workplace, in the gym, of well-intentioned people. Sometimes friends, colleagues, classmates, even family, there's a lot of voices in our lives, and we should listen to the voices in our lives. There's often very helpful advice and truth in them. We should not be arrogant and say, no, I only learned from Jesus. I only learned from God. Well, God will often say, well, then listen to the people around you, because I'm trying to get your attention through them. So we should listen. But we have to be clear about this. There is one voice that is worthy of your unconditional obedience. And it is not your family or your friends or the media or whoever's running for president. There's one voice. 
Whether they're close at hand or they're out there, there's only one voice. You can confidently render your complete, undivided obedience. And it is the living God who is asking for unconditional obedience. This is the one he establishes his work. Not the one who's obeying perfectly. Don't get the wrong message here. But the one whose heart is set on obeying him. Whose will is surrendered. Who when they fail, and they do, they get back up. And they say, God help me do better next time. I will obey you, though no one else will. That is God's demand of obedience that often looks hard and often looks impossible in our life. But because God's Spirit lives in us, is not only possible, it's immeasurably more than you can dream. His blessing is way beyond any borders you could create for yourself. Verse 23, my messenger will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites and Jebusites. There's all those kites. They're flying around everywhere around these people. God says, I will wipe them out. Hard language, isn't it? You must not bow down to their gods, and you must not be drawn to serve them. And you must not do as they do. You must demolish them and shatter their sacred pillars. No lack of clarity here, is there? Ultimate. Loyalty and allegiance, God is saying, to anyone or anything around you, it must be dealt with ruthlessly. It's a strong words God is giving here. You know, there's no need to gloss over this. This is hard, direct language. What we're seeing here is God as warrior. Did you know that? God is a warrior God. Did you know Jesus was a warrior God? Now, it looked very differently for Jesus, and we'll probably won't get into that today. If you want to learn more about this, take your card and write warrior God on it. And if enough of you do that, we'll do a Great Commission training on that topic too. These statements may be very unsettling for you. They may bother you. They may be unsettling. They may not be satisfying. The possibility of a warrior God. You know, if it would have been up to Jim running the planet at that time, I would have said, go just kind of hang out with those kites. Keep your head down. Try to stay out of trouble. Try to be really nice to them. I wouldn't have used the wiping out strategy. But you know what? I'm not God. And he is. He saw a bigger picture. He saw some other factors at play. What I do know about God is He's always good. But we shouldn't think shallowly about this matter flippantly. I'm not ready to throw a warrior God conference or pep rally. I'll say this. When God is a warrior, it's plan B. It's plan B. How we know what plan A is, is we look to God come in the flesh, Jesus. I just confused half of you, and that's okay. 
Write down warrior God, and we'll talk more about it. You know, when God's working with people, it's always plan B. Why? Because God is actually doing what is good for us. And we're going to see that in just a minute. He's working with our situation, our frailty, our brokenness. He's working with us. God was establishing His people in the middle of a bunch of other cultures who were worshiping false gods. That was what He was working with. Now, could He have done it differently? Yeah. He could have wiped all of them out, including Israel. That would have been the just thing to do. What He's doing is showing mercy. And He's establishing His presence on the earth. When Jesus came, it looked very different. Jesus is still a warrior God. But in the political arena, He puts His hands to His side and refuses to ask, answer questions. He lets them take His life. All the time, he's a warrior God, he's doing that. He is battling with forces of evil that no one could see. He is a warrior God. He will be again. It's who God is, it's part of who, it's not all he is. But there is really evil in the world. And God is really not evil. So that's what we're left with. God works with us. Look at verse 29. I will not drive them out in a single year. Lest the land become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you. Until you increase and possess the land. Little by little. God has a strategy. He does things in a certain way. He does things in ways in line with his character. He's dealing with the realities, quote, on the ground. God is working with fickle, sinful people. If Israel were at the place in their lives where they could freely, routinely, easily obey, perhaps God would have taken a different strategy. And I will wipe them out. I don't know. I'm not God. But he is doing plan B. Little by little, I will work with you. He's acting in line with his purposes in the middle of a whole bunch of moving parts. His timing is the right timing. Little by little. And you know what? Little by little is how it actually happens. It's how it happened. You can read the book of Judges if you want to see more. It happened just like God said it would happen, little by little. Now let's pause there and bring it home for a minute. Um, part of learning to live in God's ways is, make, is making peace with this, little by little. How often do we want it right now? We're fine with little by little until we have a crisis. At least I am. Heal my body, fix my marriage, get me the job, tell me where to go and what to do. Sometimes God does it that way. When it's best for us and best for His purposes, He'll, he'll jump right in, fix it for you. Normally, He does it little by little. You know why? He has a bigger vision for your life than just immediate healing, fixing, 
giving you the ideal job. He's actually wanting to conform you from the inside out into the character of Jesus. That's what he's about. And he knows that if he did all that at once, it would probably ruin your life. So what he, what he does, he works with us little by little. He transforms us into the image of Christ. I don't understand all this. I'm just telling you this is the biblical way most of the time. His way is transformation most of the time. Change occurring through process little by little. That's what God's doing in this community. That's what he's doing in our community. I don't like it sometimes. I want God just to zap it and do it. Get us where I want us to be in five years. And God does it little by little. Why? Because he's working with a whole community. We are who he has to work with. He's not looking for, a, for troops of minions. He's working in our complexity and our humanity and in our beauty and in our brokenness, in our giftedness, as well as our deficits. He's working with all that. And he's forming all that to look more like Jesus. I am so glad he's doing it little by little. If he did it all at once, we couldn't stand it. It hurt too much. Little by little. Let's, let's end. Verse 31, God says, I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean, from the desert to the Euphrates River. I will give into your hands the people of the land, and you will drive them out before you. And that's exactly what happened. In time, this is what happened. God says, you must not make a covenant with the people or with their gods. They must not live in your land lest they call you to sin against me. If you serve their gods, it will certainly become a snare to you. By the way, they did. Somebody got a Bible up here? I forgot mine. I want to read, thanks Aaron, I want to read um, Judges chapter 2, it's not, not going to be up there, so this, this is much later, Joshua is in charge now, he succeeded Moses as the leader, Says the, this is Judges 2, the first five verses, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, to the people. I brought you up out of Egypt, led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. This is what we've been reading. Yet, you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? I also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you and their gods will become snares to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, they wept aloud. And they called that place Bokan, where they offered sacrifices to the Lord. After all this going before and preparing, all the law that God had given, the calls to obedience, do not make a covenant with the surrounding nations. Do not... Bring yourself into alliance with their gods. It's exactly what they did. And we have a mess. The people that God intended to be a light to show the way forward winds up being a divided mess. 
plan B. That was plan B. I am so grateful for plan E. Plan A. Galatians said it this way. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, bring salvation, same as that Old Testament word for deliverance, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full privileges, rights, acceptance, righteousness as sons and daughters. That's plan A. Jesus Christ, come in the flesh. Come as God for you and for me. That is an entirely different arrangement. It's one bathed in forgiveness and mercy. That was God's plan A all along. Plan B had to happen in God's purposes. I understand some of it. Why plan B had to happen first, I don't understand all of it. But God saw it. He saw the moving parts. Let's pray together. Father, we're looking at a people, different situation as ours, different time, different place, different culture. But Lord, we also identify with them in so many ways because you've made promises to them, you've really pledged your care and love for them, the protection. And then you've demanded obedience from them. And Lord, they just weren't able. And this pointed the way forward. And now, in your care, in your way, we live on the other side of plan A. Christ coming for us. Redeeming us and giving us a freedom that those Israelites never knew. It's a freedom of the heart. Oh God, we still fall short of it, but that was the whole point of plan A, is that we are now fully aware of our inability to keep it. We're not able to obey you from the heart, but in Christ we're made new. God, I pray that as we seek you to establish the work of our hands, we would never ever think it will happen any other way than following Jesus with our lives of learning to live our lives as He would if He were us, of learning to depend on Him in our moments of fatigue and fog, learning to look to Him when we're discouraged. God, even as I pray that, I just know that tomorrow I'll forget. God, I thank You for Your mercy for our lives. That's what we celebrate in worship is not how confident we are that we're going to get it right going forward. But God, we are confident in your grace and mercy that we have found in Jesus. God, please, if there's people in the room who've not yet discovered that salvation, that deliverance, that freedom in Christ, 
Lord, would you, would you bring, would you send whatever messenger you need to send them to bring that truth home to them and your unconditional love for them? Make it so real for them that they'll just be compelled to say yes, even though it looks difficult and impossible. That they would reach out their hand and say, yes, I will follow you with my life. Forgive me for my inability to be a good person. Give me the righteousness that comes through Jesus. Lord, this is our request in this moment. Move right now with your Holy Spirit in our hearts. As we, be, as we worship, I want to just leave that with you. This is your moment. This next song of worship is your moment. The first few minutes, I'm just going to ask these guys just to play for a minute. Can you do that? And we're just going to give you a moment. I'm going to stay here on the front row. Um, I'm going to ask George to come up here and sit on the front row. Um, Maddie, would you come up and sit on the front row? And uh, this, this, just this morning, if you want to just come pray with somebody, um, then we'll be here. If others come and we're occupied, just some of you leaders, just get up and come. Uh, this is your moment.